0: Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording. Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording.
1: Welcome to Putting on the Mind of Christ. Each week at this time we go into the Ave Maria CD archives and pull down a talk or two to see what our Lord might have to say to us. Many of these talks are recorded at area conferences. Most of the speakers are nationally known, but some may have been recorded by a brother or sister sitting in front of or behind you at Mass. Ave Maria Radio presents this program of God's Word to his people. This is Henry Root, your host and program producer for this very special edition of Putting on the Mind of Christ. The Diocese of Saginaw has not ordained a priest in over two decades, but on Friday, June 8th, Bishop Robert Carson ordained two and opened a Eucharistic Congress with Archbishop Timothy Dolan as the keynote speaker that same evening. All of this was at the Diocesan Cathedral of Mary of the Assumption. The next morning, at the Assumption of Blessed Virgin Mary Church in Midland, he ordained five men, transitional deacons. These men are scheduled to be ordained to the priesthood next December. That Saturday afternoon, as part of the Eucharistic Congress at St. Bridget of Ireland Church in Midland, there were adult and youth workshops and Eucharistic adoration. At 3.15 that afternoon, Bishop Carlson spoke to the crowd of both the youth and the adults, and then celebrated Mass at 4. A massive barbecue followed. That evening, popular Catholic musician Steve Agrizzano performed a concert. To close the Congress, following the 10.30 a.m. Mass at St. San Elkowska Church in Bay City, worshippers took part in the Eucharistic procession to the Ten Blocks to St. James Church. At points along the way, they stopped at altars to pray. On our program today, we'll hear the priestly ordination and Archbishop Dolan's keynote address. Stay with us. This is Putting on the Mind of Christ on Ave Maria Radio.
0: Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording. Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording.
1: Today on Putting on the Mind of Christ, we're featuring a rebroadcast of portions of the Diocese of Saginaw's Eucharistic Congress, which was held June 8th through the 10th, 2007. On the first part of our program, we'll hear parts of the actual ordination service that was hosted by our Tom Lowy and the Diocese Dr. Ed Hogan. His Excellency Robert Carlson, the Bishop of the Diocese of Saginaw, presided. After the break, we'll hear the keynote address of the Eucharistic Congress delivered by Archbishop Timothy Dolan of Milwaukee. It was a very hot Friday evening. The faithful filled St. Mary Cathedral to overflowing. There was a constant drone of large fans to move the humid air. As we begin the broadcast, Mark Graveline, the Associate Vocations Director for the Diocese, calls the names of the men about to be ordained. Andrew David Booms of Harvard Beach and Jose Maria Cabrera Bustamante, originally of Peru, before moving to Saginaw. Dr. Ed Hogan is providing the color commentary.
2: The candidates are called forward on behalf Jose Maria of the community. They answer present, and they come and stand before the bishop to announce their readiness to be ordained. Most Reverend Father,
3: Holy Mother Church asks you to ordain these, our brothers, to the responsibility of the priesthood. Do you know them to be worthy? After inquiry among the Christian people, and upon the recommendation of those responsible, I testify that they have been found worthy. Relying on the help of the Lord God and our Savior Jesus Christ, we choose these our brothers for the order of the priesthood. Thanks be to God.
2: At this point, Tom, what you hear is the people giving their assent to the election of these men for ordination to the priesthood.
4: By the way, our presenter was Mark Graveline, who's the associate vocations director. And now the bishop has taken off his mitre and is walking forward
3: to the ambo. As we gather here this afternoon, to celebrate the ordination to the priesthood. Andy and Jose have chosen a rather clear but powerful scripture. The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For Jose Maria and for Andy, these words of Jesus provide the example that they hopefully will imitate in their priestly lives. As parish priests, they are invited to live lives of faithful service after the example of Christ himself. The late Cardinal in of Chicago put it this way, As priests, we are not dispensable functionaries. We are bridges the very mystery of God and healers of souls. It is at the Eucharistic table that we find the strength to live out our call, a call to holiness, a call to pastoral ministry. And it is also here that we fall in love with Christ in a deeper way. Andy and Jose, you are not called primarily to do, but to be. And this is very, very difficult at a time in the church when there is such a critical shortage of priests. But today, sealed with the priestly character, which is real, indelible, and spiritual, you are invited to identify with Christ in a new and deeper way people will come to you because they know that you taste and see the goodness of the Lord. I remember a wonderful old Jesuit priest that I was privileged to work with and later had as a spiritual director. After successfully fulfilling a variety of assignments for the Jesuits, even serving as their provincial, He spent the last 20 years of his priestly life working with the poorest of the poor. Each month, I would watch as he gave his salary away to those who were in great need. And I also have to give you a little tip. Never invite your spiritual director to live with you. (laughs) Monthly, when I would go to confession, and I would finish, he would say, Is that all? And I would say, is there something more? Well, there was the way you talked at the dinner table the other night. Anything else? And there always seemed to be. But this was a man who, when he talked about the priesthood, put it this way. I met a priest once. Rather interesting statement. But the point was that to be a priest is something that we work on for a lifetime. We never have it made. It's always something that we're in the process of becoming. And what he helped me to understand is that when they say, and they say it easily in theology class, that as priests we are in persona Christi Capitis. What they're really saying is that you are invited by Almighty God to spend a lifetime developing a Christ-likeness. And this is very challenging in a world so filled with itself. As parish priests, and fathers you know this well, we are called to live among the people proclaiming the word and celebrating the sacraments especially the Eucharist, with all of our collaborators in ministry, creating community, and most especially to model Christ the Good Shepherd. And yet we also know that the one who would be Good Shepherd is the one who would lay down his life for the sheep. To grasp this, to begin to understand it, To allow it to pour through us, to be part of our very fiber, it demands a profound sense of faith, a great gift of discernment. For a shepherd, Jose and Andy, you will be called to imitate the very virtues and attitudes of Christ himself. You will be invited to reflect Christ's love in the most challenging of circumstances, And you will be asked, not in word, but in observation. Does he know the Lord? Does Jesus know him? Is he known? For it is that relationship with Jesus Christ that people are searching for, and they will look to you for it. The model itself of what we're called to be as priests demands that we resist any attempt to secularize the priesthood, or to live a kind of watered-down priestly identity. In the last few years, we have learned a painful lesson how quickly contemporary society abandons its priests, especially when they're given into temptation. The priest today must be someone who, with the shepherd's care, in his prayer and in his sacrifice as priest, like Christ, intercedes with God on behalf of the human family. Peter, the first apostle, in his letter in chapter 5 said, The shepherd must be totally dedicated to the flock and prepared to suffer in its defense. I must tell you, people will never come to you when it's convenient. The demands placed on you will simply pile up. But if you are a man of prayer, you will be able to receive them as they come and, like Christ the Good Shepherd, touch the hearts of the people that you serve. In practical terms, the late Pope John Paul II said, The only priest who will always prove necessary to the people is the priest who is conscious of the full meaning of his priesthood the priest who believes profoundly, the one who professes his faith with courage, the one who prays fervently, the one who teaches with deep conviction, the one who serves, and the one who puts into practice in his own life the program of the Beatitudes, the one who knows how to love disinterestedly who is close to everyone, and especially to those most in need. As we look at the challenges that confront the church today, that confront the priesthood, that confront our local church, I would recommend to you, as a motto, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verse 1. Pray continually, and never lose heart. When you need support, turn to your brothers. When you need to be held up, turn to your community. When you need to be assisted, turn to all those who desire to minister with you in this local church. If you follow this model, you will have the time to meditate on the infinite goodness and the love of Christ who is called each one of you by name, who tells you today and every day of your priestly lives, follow me, who helps you to understand that there's an accounting. Each one of us will be held to account for our service and for our zeal and for our fidelity, for accepting the scriptures which have shaped and formed your ordination mass, We are called to give an accounting of our service. We are called to be Christ's servants. In the wonderful document, the Pastoral Constitution on the Church in the Modern World, in paragraph 43 from the Second Vatican Council, it says this. It does not escape the Church. How great a distance lies between the message she offers and the human weakness of those the gospel is entrusted. Let me repeat that. It does not escape the Church, how great a distance lies between the message she offers and the human weakness of those whom the gospel is entrusted. We ordain today Jose and Andy to the priesthood. They are for us a gift. They are also for us a responsibility, for we must pray for them, and hold them up, and care for them. I once asked a priest from another diocese a long ways away why their priests seem so divided, and he responded, we eat our young. What a terrible, awful statement to make about a Presbytery. For that is a church that does not support, and does not love, and does not care. And I can tell you, you are being ordained into a local church which loves and cares, and will support you. At the same time, I know in a very special way your devotion to the Blessed Mother, the patron of our diocese, Ask her to intercede as you shape and form your priestly lives with the help of your new pastors. Begin to live the words of the Blessed Mother who told the angel that she would do God's will. Live gently as she lived. Let your obedience be demonstrated in the way you touch the lives of others. Begin to understand as she understood the sacrificial union which was her task, as she would bring Jesus into the world. Live her purity and express her grateful love to the God who created you. May the way you live out your priesthood find you someday Andy, Jose, among the blazing splendor of the saints. We are proud of you, and we will walk with you. Amen.
2: There are a whole series of things that are going to happen now, Tom. We're going to start with the promises of the elect. They'll be called forward just as in marriage. Do you promise this? Do you promise that? They're asked if they are willing to be ordained for the ministry of the priesthood and the church, giving their consent to that. We then pray the litany of supplication or the litany of saints to ask the whole communion of saints to come and strengthen them. And following that, we will have the laying on of hands and the ordination itself.
4: That's just wonderful. I'm so glad that you're here. And, uh, this is Dr. Edward Hogan, who is with me. I'm Tom Lowy, and I'm uh, kind of a co-host here. But Dr. Hogan is the uh, diocesan theologian and also director of deep formation here in the Diocese of Saginaw. And it's really good to have your insight into this, uh, this wonderful, wonderful ceremony. What's happening now?
2: The bishop is preparing to call the men forward to receive their promises. Here we see Andy and Jose Maria coming forward.
3: My dear sons, before you enter the order of priesthood, you must declare before the people your intention to undertake this office. Do you resolve, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to discharge without fail the office of priesthood in the presbyteral rank, as worthy fellow workers with the order of bishops in the caring for the Lord's flock. And you resolve to exercise the ministry of the word worthily and wisely, preaching the gospel and teaching the Catholic faith. You resolve to celebrate faithfully and reverently in accord with the Church's tradition, the mysteries of Christ, Especially the sacrifice of the Eucharist, Christ the High Priest, who offered himself for us to the Father as a pure sacrifice, and with him to consecrate yourselves to God for the salvation of all.
2: I do with the help of God, they respond, and then each
3: to me and to my successors. May God, who has begun the good work in you, bring it to fulfillment.
2: Kneeling before the bishop, they place their joined hands between those of the bishop, prayer within prayer. Here's
3: Do you promise obedience to me and to my successors? I do. May God, who has begun the good work in you, bring it to fulfillment.
2: Having announced their intention here and given their promises to the bishop, we will follow with the litany of supplication. This will be the litany of saints, and for a priestly ordination, we have a lengthy litany of saints. We'll take all the help we can get.
4: People are so patient here. It's, it's such a beautiful uh, day and an event. I should probably mention, it's it's a warm day, very hot inside, and uh,
2: it's, it's still...
3: But your people... Here we go. Let us pray that God, the all-powerful Father, will pour out abundantly the gifts of heaven on these his servants, whom he has chosen for the office of priest.
5: Lord have mercy.
2: is the Latin, and Pope Benedict XVI has asked for there to be more Latin during the common parts of the Mass, so that no matter where you go in the world, there's a sense that somehow we are speaking the same language, and when we hear the same language, some, somehow we feel in our bones that we belong to this community.
4: Two beautiful uh, cantors here, Sabrina Costillo and uh, Nina Leschewski. our our cantors here and um, the entire congregation is singing together as one
2: and both of the candidates are prostrate before the altar at this point there's a really beautiful sense of complete surrender here and they're being borne up by our prayers
4: when you say prostrate folks should understand they, they actually have their noses to the floor they are laying down
2: certainly do a gesture of complete humility and submission
4: It's a very long litany,
2: isn't it? It's a long litany, but it's beautiful. It puts one in mind of the Cathedral of Our Lady of the Angels in Los Angeles, where the beautiful tapestries of the communion of saints sit on either side of the congregation. And you really get a sense that you are surrounded by these people who are present in felt but unseen ways.
4: wonders what goes on in the minds of these two young men who are going to become priests who are laying here on the floor as the uh, congregation and the saints are uh, praying for their uh, for their priesthood that they may be true men of god as, as bishop carlson said a work of a lifetime and a process of becoming i thought that was very lovely
2: terrific archbishop dolan will be here tonight and he recently recounted the story of going up to a pulpit which which had an inscription on it which said simply sir we wish to see the lord and this is what we're asking of these men we wish to see the lord in them
4: Uh, the other thing that uh, bishop carlson said in his homily he said that people will come to you he was talking to andy and jose he says uh, and that they will they will come to him because uh, they know that they taste and see the goodness of the Lord.
2: I remember a friend of mine as a priest and during his seminary days he said the thing that was most terrifying to him was to imagine himself being a priest who didn't know the Lord. Mm. And then, you know,
4: the other thing to point out is that the, all of these priests that are standing here, almost the entire Diocese of Saginaw, every single priest is here standing and experiencing again what they themselves went through.
2: Very much like being at someone else's wedding when you're married, Mm -hmm.
4: um. Dom. Exactly right. Also, the uh, the transitional deacons, the the men who will be ordained tomorrow, um, are experiencing for the first time what will happen to them by the grace of God next
2: year. That's right, and as they draw closer to it and closer to their own entry into holy orders with the diaconate tomorrow, There's no doubt a sense of anxiety and exhilaration coming over these men. Well, let's go listen to them
4: uh, sing this beautiful, beautiful litany.
2: saints, all of the patron saints of the Diocese of Saginaw.
4: Ah, I thought I'd noticed something. Yes, that's right. St. Danis Lascaux. I I, I heard all the... the, uh, That's right.
2: Domine. We pray for the Lord to free us from every impediment which prevents us from coming to him. to hear us.
5: To see the troubled and the afflicted strengthen all of us and keep us in your holy
3: beseech you, Lord our God, and pour out on these servants of yours the blessing of the Holy Spirit and the power of priestly grace, that those whom in the sight of your mercy we offer to be consecrated may be surrounded by your rich and unfailing gifts. We ask this through Christ our Lord.
2: The candidates have expressed their readiness and willingness to accept the call to the priesthood. They now prepare to receive the strength of the Holy Spirit, as the bishop and the priests silently impose hands upon them.
4: So every priest then is going to go and lay hands upon these men?
2: Every priest is invited to come forward and lay hands. It's an extraordinary experience. The men are now being vested before the laying on of hands.
4: And for those who may not know what that means, can you explain that a little
2: bit? You'll notice that the other priests are wearing the different priestly vestments, and up to this point, Jose, Maria, and Andy have not been wearing those priestly vestments. Now, as they prepare to receive the laying on of hands and the ordination itself, they will put on those priestly vestments as a preparation. The vesting ministers are coming forward now. And what's happening here is really it's that same sense of Epiclesis as bread and wine are transformed into the body and blood of Christ by the, the laying on of hands of the priest. These men are being transformed so that they can be visibly the presence of Christ, the head of the body, which is the church. And you can see by the turnout of the priests that it's something they very much want to be a part of as they welcome these men into their brotherhood. There's something that you said, Tom, about apostolic succession. If we look at the catechism and ask, what does holy orders mean? The first thing it says is that holy orders is the sacrament through which the mission entrusted by Christ to his apostles continues to be exercised in the church until the end of time. And That's why this ancient rite is crucial here. It has gone back to the apostles and is entrusted through the apostles to the church through all time so that Christ himself can be present in every time and place.
4: I notice that some of the priests take longer time uh, than others as they lay their hands upon the heads of these uh, young men who are to be priests in just a moment. The entire sanctuary is filled with priests right now. They stand on the steps in front of the altar.
2: It's a beautiful thing to follow the litany of saints with the laying on of hands and the gathering of these priests as a visible body.
4: You know, what I'm struck with is the silence of the uh, congregation, not even a cough. Everybody is so attentive to what's going on. And this is, like I said, a very hot and still day, and yet uh, the, the silence is just amazing. These two men, Father Andrew Booms and Father Jose Maria Cabrera, kneeling down as their fellow brother priests lay their hands upon them in this ancient, ancient rite.
2: It's a tremendous sense of reverence and awe before the mystery that's taking place right in front of these people's eyes here, Tom. One of the fellows who will be ordained to the diaconate tomorrow said, As a kid at Mass with my family, I remember seeing the priest and knowing that he was united to Christ in a totally different way than we were. And the people are watching that happen right in front of them. These men being conformed to Christ in an entirely new way.
4: And the line just keeps going and going. One priest after another after another. Now, how many priests uh, are there? Do you know in the in the diocese of Saginaw? Do you have a, a, a can you make a guess on that?
2: We don't need to make a guess, Tom. There used to be fifty seven, and now, right in our midst, there are fifty nine.
4: Again, okay, let's bring up a little information about Father Andrew Booms and Father Jose Maria Cabrera. Father Andrew is twenty nine, and he hails from Harbor Beach, Michigan, up in the Thumb. And then Father Jose Maria Cabrera is from La Payeke. Peru. I believe I said that right. I might be off, but uh, he's 26 years old. Both of these uh, young men went to to Mundelein Seminary in Illinois and also the Catholic Theological Union in Chicago. Father Andrew has a uh, bachelor's degree in psychology, and uh, it, it looks to me like Father Cabrera studied philosophy at the John the 23rd Theological Institute in Lima, Peru, and he also served as a missionary in the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. Now, Father Andrew Booms will be going to St. James Parish in Bay City and he uh, will serve there as a religion teacher over at All Saints at Central Catholic High School in Bay City following his ordination. And then Father Cabrera has been appointed to serve as the associate pastor at Blessed Sacrament Parish in Midland following his ordination. Again, we continue to have this stately procession of priests laying their hands on two kneeling men as they receive this blessing from the church actually, it really is, from the church itself
2: from the church through the bishop and the priests, it's a wonderful thing again the catechism says Tom that through this sacrament of holy orders priests by the anointing of the Holy Spirit are signed with a special character and so are configured to Christ the priest in such a way that they are able to act in the person of Christ the head
4: tomorrow is going to be an interesting day for you because you're the head of the diaconate program for the Diocese of Saginaw. must be an exciting thing for you to know that the men that are going to be ordained tomorrow will be priests, hopefully the next year. But how is the diaconate program going for you right now?
2: It's terrific. Uh, You know, it's a little slow to get it off the ground. We haven't had that program running in the last 25 years, but I traveled around a little bit and met some folks around the country. We're getting that program going, and we will start... Late this summer, we're actually going to have our opening date on the feast of the Assumption of Mary, since the Assumption of Mary is the patronal feast of the diocese. And then we have several men, really extraordinary men, who've already lived a life of dedicated service, coming into the program. I just invite those of you who are listening along to enter into this scene with us. Imagine yourself in this quiet, in this stillness. And join your prayers with ours as we lift up these men to the Lord.
4: I think we must be coming fairly close to the end of this portion. Now, after this laying on, do they then become priests? Is this is this
2: the moment? This is it. They had become priests by oh, the laying my. on of hands. That's when it happens. Just as at the Mass, by the, the invocation of the Holy Spirit, the bread and wine, become the body and blood of Christ.
4: And we'll have that as well today, because
3: there's two sacraments occurring.
2: That's right. Yeah. It's really an extraordinary thing.
3: John, your O Lord, Holy Father, Mr. Almighty Carlson. and Eternal God, author of human dignity, it is you who apportion all graces. Through you everything progresses. Through you all things are made to stand firm. To form a priestly people, you appoint ministers of Christ your Son by the power of the Holy Spirit arranging them in different orders. Already in the earlier covenant, offices arose established through mystical rites. When you said Moses and Aaron over your people to govern and sanctify them, you chose men next in rank and dignity to accompany them and assist them in their task. So too in the desert, you implanted the spirit of Moses in the hearts of 70 wise men. and With their help, he ruled your people with greater ease. So also upon the sons of Aaron you poured an abundant share of their father's plenty, that the number of the priests prescribed by the law might be sufficient for the sacrifices of the tabernacle, which were a shadow of the good things to come. But in these last days, Holy Father, you sent your Son into the world, Jesus, who is Apostle and High Priest of our confession. Through the Holy Spirit, he offered himself to you as his spotless victim. And he made his apostles consecrated in the truth, chairs in his mission. He provided them also with companions to proclaim and carry out the work of salvation to the whole world. And now we beseech you, Lord, in our weakness, to grant us these helpers that we need to exercise the priesthood that comes from the apostles. Grant, we pray, Almighty Father, to these your servants the dignity of the priesthood. Renew deep within them the spirit of holiness. May they henceforth possess this office, which comes from you, O God, and is next in rank to the office of bishop. And by the example of their manner of life, may they instill right conduct. May they be worthy co-workers with our order, so that by their preaching and through the grace of the Holy Spirit, the words of the gospel may bear fruit in human hearts and reach even to the ends of the earth. Together with us, may they be faithful stewards of your mysteries so that your people may be renewed in the waters of your birth and nourished from your altar, so that sinners may be reconciled and the sick raised up. May they be joined with us, Lord, in imploring your mercy for the people entrusted to their care and for all the world. And so may the full number of the nations gathered together in Christ be transformed into your one people and made perfect in your kingdom. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit. God forever and ever.
2: After the acclamation now, we will have the anointing of hands with the Holy Chrism.
4: The symbolism in this, can you explain that to me a little
2: bit? Well, really, the anointing goes back to the Old Testament when they would anoint kings um, and the Holy Spirit, it would say over and over, and then the Spirit rushed upon David, and then the Spirit rushed upon Solomon after the anointing. And it's really that the priest's hands are called to do so much. So besides receiving the laying on of hands, they in turn will give blessings through these hands. And so these hands are anointed with the chrism, the special symbol of the Holy Spirit, so that they can bestow a blessing.
4: We have Father Andrew Bloom, Boom rather, who just kneeled down in front of uh, the bishop and this is uh, the anointing the of his Jesus hands. The Lord Jesus
3: Christ, whom the Father anointed with the Holy Spirit and in power, he guard and preserve you, that you may sanctify the Christian people and offer sacrifice to God.
4: And now we have Father Jose Maria Cabrera, who kneels down in front of Bishop Robert J. Carlson. And
3: the keeps Lord his Jesus hands. Christ whom the Father anointed with the Holy Spirit and power guard and preserve you, that you may sanctify the Christian people and offer sacrifice to God.
4: This next uh, event that occurs within this liturgy is very interesting to me. The handing over of bread and
2: wine. As a diaconal ordination, what you'd have at this point is the handing over of the Book of Gospels. And the bishop would say, receive the Book of Gospels. Believe what you read, teach what you believe, and practice what you teach. But the prayer for the priestly ordination is this they receive the bread and wine, and the bishop says to them, Receive the oblation of the holy people to be offered to God. Understand what you do. Certainly a lifetime could be spent on that. Imitate what you celebrate as the bread and wine are blessed, broken, and poured out. So these men's lives will be blessed and broken and poured out for the people that they serve. And lastly, conform your life to the mystery of the Lord's cross. that the parents of the newly ordained bring forward the gifts to be handed over to their sons. Oh, how lovely.
3: Receive the oblation of the holy people to be offered to God. Understand what you do. Imitate what you celebrate. And conform your life to the mystery of the Lord's cross.
4: That was Father Booms and now Father Cabrera.
3: Receive the oblation of the holy people to be offered to God. Understand what you do, imitate what you celebrate, and conform your life to the mystery of the Lord's cross.
2: You really see the connection of the mystery of the cross and the mystery of the Eucharist there.
4: Now, this is interesting. This this is this the fraternal
2: kiss? Is that what this is? Indeed. The bishop gives each of the newly ordained the fraternal kiss or the fraternal embrace. And again, all of the priests are invited forward now as they celebrate the fullness of this brotherhood.
4: Oh, this is very touching, too. These priests are coming up and they're just grabbing these guys, giving them big hugs. Members of a fraternity of sorts, but greater than that, members of a priesthood. Here in the Diocese of Saginaw,
2: It's really just an extraordinary thing to watch, Tom.
4: And we're so pleased that we can bring this to you today on WMAX, your vocation station. Uh, You know, we've been uh, uh, very, very eager to uh, have new vocations here in in this diocese. and, and, uh, And now we have a chance to actually broadcast this to everyone who could not be here today. What a blessing.
2: That reminds me, Tom. Uh, You mentioned about the folks who couldn't be with us in person but who are attending and being present over the radio, that by the request of Bishop Carlson and with the permission of Pope Benedict XVI, a plenary indulgence is available to those who participate in the Eucharistic Congress, and this is available both to those who are here in person and those who cannot be here in person but wish to join themselves in their intentions and in their hearts with what's going on here.
1: On our Putting on the Mind of Christ program today, we're listening to excerpts from the Diocese of Saginaw's recent Eucharistic Congress. The first event of the Congress that Friday afternoon was the Eucharistic Liturgy with Rite of Ordination to the Order of Priesthood. We just heard Father Andrew David Booms and Father Jose Maria Cabrera Bustamante being ordained. Following this break, we'll hear Archbishop Timothy Dolan's keynote address that Friday evening. This is Putting on the Mind of Christ
0: on Ave Maria Radio. Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks, and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts, and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording. Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks, and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts, and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording.
1: Putting on the Mind of Christ program today, we're listening to portions of the Diocese of Saginaw's recent Eucharistic Congress, which was held last June 8th through 10th. On our first half, we heard the ordinations of Father Andrew Booms and Father Jose Maria Cabrera. These were the first ordinations in the diocese in over 20 years. The next day, Bishop Carlson ordained five men to the transitional diaconate. They're scheduled to be ordained to the priesthood next December. For the remainder of our program, we now listen to the keynote address of the Congress by Archbishop Timothy M. Dolan. He was installed as Milwaukee's 10th Archbishop on August 28, 2002, after serving as auxiliary bishop in St. Louis. His title was, The Eucharist, He Died for Us, He Feeds Us, He Remains With Us. To introduce Archbishop Dolan, here is Bishop Robert J. Carlson.
3: This evening, it's my privilege to introduce Archbishop Timothy Dolan, the Archbishop of Milwaukee. Archbishop Dolan is from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, served as rector of the North American College in Rome and taught at the Dominican University there, Church History. Archbishop Dolan, with your work as the rector of the North American College, you uh, followed one of the great men of Saginaw, Cardinal Hickey. We welcome you to the diocese and we look forward as you help us reflect on the gift of the Eucharist. I am the living
6: bread which has come down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. The bread I shall give is my own flesh for the life of the world. From the mouth of the Master himself our Gospel passage for this evening's Liturgy of the Word from the 6th chapter of John the Evangelist. O Sacrament Most Holy, O Sacrament Divine, All praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. Bishop Carlson, my brother priests and deacons, consecrated women and men religious, seminarians and novices, our lay pastoral leaders, and brothers and sisters all in Christ Jesus from this wonderful Diocese of Saginaw, it is indeed a joy and an honor to be with you for this Eucharistic Congress, and I thank you very much for the privilege. I want you to know I I accepted your very gracious invitation, yes, because I savor the chance, any chance, to be with God's people in prayer before the Holy Eucharist. I accept it your gracious invitation? Yes, because I I relish any opportunity to speak about our faith in the Holy Eucharist. And I want you to know as well that I accepted your gracious invitation because of the admiration, the affection, and the appreciation that I have for your Bishop, who I am proud to call a friend and a model and an inspiration to me. So it is an honor and a joy for me to be with you this evening with the diocesan family of Saginaw. How appropriate is it not that we would assemble on this weekend of the Feast of Carpus Christi, the Body and Blood of Christ. I don't know about you, but I feel very strongly that the Church, we in the Church, need precisely this kind of public expression of our faith to bolster one another. Can I tell you a little story that I think verifies that observation? We've got to go back about 220 years, but I'd say the point of the story is as accurate today as it was then. It's a story about a wonderful young woman, a beautiful young woman from one of the most prominent families in our young republic. She was a beloved wife, the mother of five. She was a prominent socialite in New York. Her husband, William, was a very Successful businessman in shipping. And this woman and her husband William left their five children in New York under the competent care of family and they took a dream cruise to Livorno, Italy. William had some business, but they were going to combine some business and pleasure. They were going to take a cruise to Livorno, Italy and stay with an Italian family in Livorno by the name of the Felicis to whom William had grown very close through his shipping business. And while on that cruise, what was supposed to be a dream, I'm afraid, turned into a nightmare, and William came down with tuberculosis, and William, her husband, died on the voyage. When the cruise finally, when the ship finally arrived in Livorno, of course, she couldn't go home immediately. She had to attend to his burial, and they were under quarantine for a while. So she enjoyed the hospitality of this Italian family, the Felicis, to whom her husband had been so close. Now, this woman was of a deep Episcopalian faith, but she stayed with the Felicis for about two months, and she grew to be so moved precisely by their devotion to the Eucharist. She would accompany them every morning to their village parish, and she would watch as they would pray intently at the liturgy she'd see how reverently they would receive Holy Communion and how profound was their thanksgiving afterwards. In the cool of the evening, when they, as all Italians do, would make their passeggiata, their evening stroll after Cena, she'd watch as they stopped at the same parish church for a visit to the Blessed Sacrament. And day in, day out, she began to experience a hunger for this Eucharist. She began to pray about it, and she began to ask for the gift of faith that she might see in that sacrament what that wonderful Italian family did. And finally it was the Feast of Carpus Christi, and she went with the Felicis to the square where the parish pastor was carrying the Blessed Sacrament in a monstrance in procession. And as the priest passed with the Holy Eucharist in the monstrance, she watched as the Felicis knelt down and as All the other people knelt down. Behind her was the minister from the Episcopalian church in town. They had an Episcopalian church there because it was kind of a destination for English shipping. And the Anglican minister whispered to her, These peasants believe that piece of bread is God. And she found herself whispering to herself, So do I. So do I. When she returned home to New York, she took instructions in the Catholic faith and became a Catholic. On September 14, 1975, when I was a seminarian in Rome, I was able to attend her canonization by Pope Paul VI in St. Peter's Square as he declared her, this woman, moved by the faith of that family in the Eucharist, our first Native Native-born American saint, Elizabeth Ann Bailey Seat. Now that, my brothers and sisters, is the power, that is the clout of the public expression of faith and devotion that you and I are giving this evening as we assemble before our Lord really and truly present in the Eucharist. What I would propose to do with you this evening, for the minutes that are at my disposal, is to speak about the mystery of this Eucharist from three different vantage points, alright? What I'd like to do is speak about the Eucharist as a sacrifice, the Eucharist as a meal, and the Eucharist as presence. The Eucharist as sacrifice. The Son of God offered himself on the cross to God the Father in an infinite sacrifice of praise, petition, and atonement. And that sacrifice still goes on at the Eucharist. The Eucharist is a meal. He feeds our soul with the living bread at every single Eucharist. And the Eucharist is presence, as He, the Son of God, is really and truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in the Holy Eucharist. The Eucharist is sacrifice. We unite with Him. In the Eucharist, the eternal offering to God the Father. The Eucharist is a meal. We dine. With him at every liturgy. The Eucharist is presence. We visit with him. We keep him company before the Blessed Sacrament. The Eucharist is sacrifice. We think of that first Good Friday on Calvary. The Eucharist is meal. We think of that first Holy Thursday at the Last Supper. The Eucharist is presence. We think, for instance, of the road to Emmaus when he kept company with his disciples and as they recognized his risen presence in the breaking of the bread. Can I speak about each of those three aspects of the Eucharistic mystery for a couple moments this evening? Number one, the Eucharist is sacrifice. When I was a parish priest back home in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, at a beautiful parish in Richmond Heights, Little Flower, I got close to a lot of families, and one of them had a beautiful little girl, Yvonne, in first grade. And one summer evening, Yvonne was riding her bike and she took a fall, and she hit her head on the curb, and she lapsed into unconsciousness. And she was rushed to nearby St. Mary's Hospital, and they called the rectory, and I went up to St. Mary's, only half a mile or so away to be with the family. And there we kept vigil. They had to do emergency surgery on Yvonne. She was in a coma. It didn't look good at all. And all night, we just sat around Yvonne's bed, and we prayed. And we chatted and we conversed and they would whisper to her, little Yvonne, how much they loved her and how she need not be afraid. And about six in the morning, after having been there all night, I looked at my watch and I said to Vincent, the father, Vince, I'm afraid I'm going to have to go. I have 6.30 mass back in the parish. And as Vince walked me out to the parking lot, I never will forget what he said to me. He said, Father Tim, will you please put Yvonne? on the pattern at Mass. Vincent had a beautiful appreciation of the Eucharist as sacrifice. You see, my brothers and sisters, at every Mass, we can unite all our anxieties, all our worries, all our fears, all our problems, all our difficulties, and yes, all our joys and thanksgiving. We can unite those to the infinite eternal sacrifice of God the Son to God the Father on the cross of Calvary. And He will bring them to the Father for us. That's the sacrifice of the Mass. Listen to the teaching of the Second Vatican Council, the Decree on the Sacred Liturgy. Our Savior instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice to perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross for all time to entrust to his beloved spouse his church the memorial of his very death and resurrection. Or listen to the teaching of the catechism of the Catholic Church. The Eucharist is the memorial of Christ's Passover, the making present and the sacramental offering of his unique sacrifice. When the church celebrates the Eucharist, she commemorates Christ's Passover and it is made present again. The sacrifice Christ offered once and for all on the cross remains ever present in the Eucharist. Pope Benedict XVI in his recent apostolic exhortation, Sacramentum Caritatis, on the Eucharist, reminds us, very important here, listen, that the Eucharist is the work of Christ for us, not our work for him. You heard the famous quote from the patron saint of parish priests, St. John Vianney, the Curie of Ours. He says, all the good works in the Word are not equal to one sacrifice of the Mass, because they are our work. While the Mass is the work of God, even martyrdom shrinks in comparison to the Mass. For it is but the sacrifice of a person for God, while the Mass is the sacrifice of the Son of God for us. Now, I find this to be very liberating, very consoling, Because you see what this tells us, this belief in the Eucharist, as sacrifice, this tells us, my friends in Christ, that the efficacy of the Mass does not depend on us. The efficacy of the Mass does not depend upon the quality of Father's homily. Thanks be to God, alright? A couple Sundays ago, after my Mass at the cathedral, I was greeting the people afterwards, and one of the men came out that I got to know and he saw the band aid here under my chin and he said, Archbishop, what happened? And I said, Well, when I was shaving early this morning, I was thinking of my sermon and I cut myself. He said, Yeah, well, next Sunday, think of shaving and cut your homily. <laughs> <laughs> The efficacy of the Mass doesn't depend on flowers and decor, as much as we appreciate those. The efficacy of the Mass doesn't depend on the offertory procession. It doesn't depend on the the lecture or the Eucharistic ministers, again, as important as those ministries are. It doesn't depend on what mood I'm in or if I get anything out of it. The efficacy of the Mass doesn't depend upon the quality of the choir, thank God. I find that liberating. I find that consoling. And the Holy Father reminds us of that in his apostolic exhortation. So there's the Eucharist as a sacrifice. How about the Eucharist as a meal? Earlier this week, I was in Washington, D.C. for the meeting of the uh, board of the Catholic University of America. And as part of the board meeting, a young priest was invited to address the board. This young priest had come to the United States about six years ago from China. And he achieved his doctorate at the Catholic University of America, an extraordinarily bright young man. So, of course, they brought him in to express appreciation to the board, kind of to show off the great work that the university is doing. Well, we were so moved by what he told us, the benefits he had derived from his years of study at the Catholic University, and as he concluded, One of the bishops, one of the other bishops on the board said, Father Raphael, I forget his last name, it was all X's and Z's. just call him Father Raphael. He said, Father Raphael, now what will you do when you go back to China? And he said, I don't exactly know. He said, I could be arrested when I get off the airplane. He said, I really don't have an assignment because my bishop was apprehended three months ago and nobody knows where he is. And I don't exactly know where I'll live. And the bishop again said, well, what will you do? And with surprise, he said, well, of course, I'll celebrate Mass every day and feed the people with the Eucharist. He said, I don't know where that will be. It might be on my mom's kitchen table. It might be in the fields. Maybe it will be in the little parish church that we have if the authorities are leaving us alone. But he said, that's what I'll do. I'll celebrate Mass every day and I'll feed the people with the Eucharist. The Eucharist is food. The Eucharist is a meal. Would you think about this? Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, was born where? In Bethlehem, which means house of bread. He was born in the house of bread because he was destined to be bread for the world. The newborn Savior of the world was placed where? In a manger, which means a feed box, because he is destined to be food for the soul. Jesus reveals the doctrine of the Eucharist when, after he multiplied bread and fish to feed the people. And Jesus instituted the Eucharist Where? At a supper, which would be his last, on the night before he died. That's kind of a sledgehammer way of Jesus telling us that the Eucharist is food, bread for the soul. The Eucharist is a meal. I've always been very moved by a story I must have heard a decade or so ago about another Chinese confessor, the faith Father Dominic Tang. I don't know if you ever heard of Father. Part of the story is that he was in solitary confinement for seven years. Now you think of that, in a jail cell for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, now his sentence wasn't over, but at the end of seven years, his captives came to him and said, You've been kind of a model prisoner. We're gonna let you out for a couple hours. And what do you want? What do you want? He could have requested a special meal, I suppose. He could have requested a hot shower. Maybe he could have asked for a change of clothes. Maybe he could have asked to see a visitor or to write home. Maybe he could have requested a particular book. And Father Tong simply said, I would like to receive Holy Communion. I'd like to receive Holy Communion. The power of the food of the Eucharist. Pope St. Pius X said it well, this side of paradise, the most effective way to be in union with Christ is by worthily receiving him in Holy Communion. The Eucharist is a meal. And finally, my friends in Christ, the Eucharist as Presence when I was rector of the North American College in Rome, one of the apostolic works in which our seminarians were involved were serving as guides for pilgrims who would come to the Eternal City. And they would want to make this a spiritual and a catechetical endeavor. And one of the things that they most enjoyed doing was, would be to give tours of St. Peter's Basilica. And they would make sure to make this very catechetical. And one of the men shared with me once a story. He was giving a tour of St. Peter's Basilica to a group of Japanese tourists. Now he said, these tourists knew nothing about Christianity, they knew nothing about Catholicism. For them, the very person of Jesus was about as alien to them as Buddha would be to us, see? So he said, during my tour of St. Peter's Basilica, I kind of concentrated on the art and the culture and the history and the sculpture. And I pointed out all the magnificent pieces of art that are world-renowned. And he said, but I wrapped it up the way I always do. We came to the conclusion of our tour of St. Peter's at the Blessed Sacrament Chapel. And he said, as I do with any group, I kind of gave them a little 30-second catechesis on the real presence. And then I said, it's been nice being with you. He said, most of the time, when I have a Christian group, I would have said, you might want to go now and pray in the presence of the Eucharist. But with this group, I simply tried to explain it, and I bade them farewell. And he said, one of the Japanese tourists remained. And he said, excuse me, young man, did I understand you to say to us that your faith tells you that that piece of bread in that beautiful gold receptacle on that altar is really divine, is the divine presence. And the seminarian said, you understood me exactly. And he said, the Japanese tourist just looked at the monstrance and looked at him, and he said, well, then that is the greatest work of art in this entire basilica. The Eucharist as presence. Would you rehearse with me the words that Jesus uses When he invites us to discipleship? What kind of words does Jesus use in that invitation? Does the master say, work with me, strategize with me, plan with me, build with me, act with me, exercise with me? No, thank God. And none of those action words. No, what kind of words does Jesus use when He invites us to discipleship? Stay with me. Remain with me. Be with me. Watch with me. Keep awake with me. Live with me. Those are all sort of being words. Those are all sort of presence words, and I propose to you this evening that one of the most poignant and effective ways we do that is when we gather in front of his Eucharistic presence. This is where we simply are with the Lord, where we stay with him, where we watch with him, where we live with him, where we remain with him. One of my favorite 9-11 stores, we all have them. One of mine, I was auxiliary bishop in St. Louis at the time, and I was coming home after a terribly long and difficult day, as we we all had, talk about an anxious day. And when I came into the parish where I was living, Our Lady of Sorrows in South St. Louis, I was amazed to see the parking lot filled. Now, we had at that parish in the former convent chapel was a chapel of perpetual Eucharistic adoration. And the parish had a great habit of always having people there, but boy, this night the parking lot was jammed and there was literally a line of people waiting to get into that chapel. So I joined the line. And the woman in front of me, a young mother whom I recognized immediately, she said, you know, Bishop, I figured, look, I can either stay at home and look at CNN, like I've been doing for about 12 hours, or I could come up here and look at him. She had a profound sense of his presence in the Eucharist. Simply to look at him, to be with him, to remain with him, really and truly present in the Holy Eucharist. Little Catholic trivia here. You know where the Feast of Carpus Christi began. It began in the beautiful Italian town of Arvieto. If you ever get to Italy, you must go to Arvieto. It's about an hour and ten minutes north of Rome. Beautiful, beautiful cathedral. The wine and the pasta ain't bad either, all right? That's where the Feast of Carpus Christi began. Anyway, beautiful Eucharistic miracle story there. I'm not going to go into that. But they have one of the finest medieval festivals every Carpus Christi to celebrate the great feast. When that beautiful hill town comes together in medieval costumes and the banners, the tapestries, the guilds, This magnificent procession, you may have seen, it's been documented by National Geographic and everything, it's world-renowned. Well, we had a tradition, once again in Rome, at the North American College, of every year going to process. And one year, they were kind enough to ask me to carry the Blessed Sacrament. The monstrance were part of the procession. It's about a two-hour procession. And as I was carrying the Blessed Sacrament, i got to admit to you, I was saying, You know, this is kind of schmaltzy. I think 90% of these people are here just as tourists to see the tapestries and the costumes and to say they were in Parvieto, and I don't know if they're here for faith. And as I rounded a corner, I caught sight of this beautiful young Italian family. And there was the Italian father holding his two- or three-year-old son. And I saw the father as I'm walking by with the Blessed Sacrament. The father whispers into his son's ear as he points to the Holy Eucharist. He whispers to his son's ear, Echo Jesu, there is Jesus. I thought to myself, this kid could go to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, Catholic university, Catholic graduate work, And no lesson in the faith is going to be more powerful than the one he just got from his dad. Echo, Jesus, there is Jesus, a profound sense of the Eucharist as presence. Sacrifice, meal, and presence. Enough said, as Thomas Aquinas said, words fail us when we're trying to describe the mystery of the Eucharist. Lord knows I've made a try, all right? (laughs) We got in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, we've had a mission in the Dominican Republic for a quarter century. I went down in October to celebrate the quarter century of wonderful service by our priest to our sister parish. 50,000 souls in one parish. Very poor area. 18 mission stations throughout this chunk of the Dominican Republic, this terribly oppressed and impoverished area. And in my week there, we went to all of them. And I'm so proud of the great work that our priests, our sisters, our lead people have done over the past quarter century. But as we would wheel that dusty truck into village after village after village, when the people would come to greet me and the two priests, they wouldn't say, Father, are we going to have more irrigation channels? although our priests and our sisters and our lay people have been responsible for wonderful irrigation. They didn't say, Father, are we going to have the child nutrition clinic in our village, although do they ever need it, and have our people done it magnificently. They didn't say, Father, when can we get more of the latrines that you keep bringing to the villages that we need so badly for sanitation, as grateful as they are for them. Village after village after village, as we get out of the smoking truck, they would say, Father, are we going to have Mass? O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine.
1: We had a very special edition of Putting on the Mind of Christ this week. Our sister station in Saginaw, Michigan, broadcast live most of the events of the Eucharistic Congress the diocese held this last June 8th through the 10th. We listened to portions of this wonderful event, including the ordinations of Father Andrew David Booms and Father Jose Maria Cabrera Bustamante. We also heard Archbishop Timothy M. Dolan's keynote address of the Congress. I'd like to thank Archbishop Dolan, Bishop Robert Carlson, the pastors of the various parishes involved, theologian Dr. Ed Hogan, and Communications Director Matt Treadwell for their cooperation in the production of the live remote broadcasts and of our program today. A CD of this program is available for 850. Order program number 272. To place your order or for more information, phone 734-930-4506. 734-930-4506 or email orders at avemariaradio.net Putting on the Mind of Christ is presented by the Ave Maria Communications Guild. To assure continuation of programs like this, we encourage you to become a radioactive Catholic and join the Ave Maria Communications Guild. Phone 877-288-1077 877-288-1077 or go to amcguild.org on the internet. Let the word be heard. Support Catholic Radio. This is your host and program producer, Henry Root. Thanks for being with us on this edition of Putting on the Mind of Christ. Until next week at the same time, may our Lord richly bless you and your families. This is Ave Maria Radio.